Hello, friends. This is Michael Gum with another Resolutions Rundown, an abbreviated podcast where we give you the rundown on great mental health. Today, I wanted to piggyback off of Chris's rundown from last week about the 2020 election and provide some extra guidance for anyone that is dreading the political discussions that are bound to dominate the remainder of this month. According to a Pew Research Center survey of U.S. adults conducted in July of this year, some 55% of adult social media users say they feel worn out by how many political posts and discussions they see on social media. That's up 18 percentage points since the same question was asked in the summer of 2016 and nine points in just the past year. And the more worn out we feel by our social interactions, the less likely we are to experience healthy, beneficial discussions that can expand our point of view. But here at the Resolutions Podcast, we are all about turning difficult topics into helpful conversations. So we'd like to present to you five tips for productive political discussions. As a disclaimer, many of these ideas have been borrowed, (laughs) okay, stolen, from a great book from authors Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers called, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening, A Guide to Grace-Filled Political Conversations. Holland and Silvers co-host a podcast called Pantsuit Politics, in which they frequently put into practice the principles demonstrated in their book as they wrestle with controversial political issues as Christian friends who just so happen to be members of opposite political parties. After this episode, if you want to learn more about how to have nuanced conversations and disagree gracefully, I would encourage you to check out their book and their podcast. Also, special thanks to our friends Bobby and Jared over at the Frank and Sense podcast for recommending this book. Okay, without further delay, here are five tips for productive political discussions. Tip number one, take off your jersey. Okay, so it's a bit out of character for me to start with a sports metaphor, but I believe it's very helpful here. Let's imagine for a minute that we're in the stadium for some big sporting event. We cheer loud when our team makes a big play. We scream at the ref when the calls don't go in our favor. It's all part of the game. However, all too often, this mentality creeps into the political arena as well. We put on the jersey of our chosen political affiliation. When our candidate makes a big play, we celebrate. When the other side attacks, we complain to anyone who will hear. If we wear these jerseys for too long, we may get caught up in the game ourselves. We side with our party on its entire platform, even if we're not 100% sure we agree. Why? We can't let the other side get ahead. We've got to take one for the team. We will retweet videos of the opponent's blunders and every opinion article that tears him or her down. Why? We're just trying to put points on the board. Sadly, this happens on both sides of the fence. Consider these two incidents from the past couple of weeks. On one side, I've seen posts condemning support of a popular celebrity couple who just lost a child to miscarriage simply because they have financially supported the Planned Parenthood organization in the past. On the other side, multiple social media organizations have had to take action to prevent posts openly wishing for the death of our own president after the news that he had contracted the coronavirus. Granted, neither of these reactions have actually come from my own friends. However, 
while I'd love to be able to say that none of these individuals were professing Christians, I'm not sure that I can. The problem with this team spirit approach to politics is that it can drastically color the way we think about other people. We think of ourselves as smart, enlightened, reasonable people, and we give the same grace to other people on our side. But the other team? They're wrong, they're misguided, they're foolish, they don't understand the way we do. Psychologists have a term for this. It's called the outgroup homogeneity effect. It's the belief that those like us are diverse, but those different from us are all the same. Isn't that what we see all the time in political discussions? Labels get thrown around left and right, literally left and right. Oh, so-and-so is a part of the radical left and the left hates America. Or so-and-so is a right-wing religious zealot, so they're just ignorant and unreasonable. Now, maybe you don't talk like this or even make these sort of comments online, but be honest with yourself. When you think about someone from the quote-unquote other team, how often do you allow for the possibility that their opinions might be a bit more nuanced than what you'd first expect? Team spirit may make for an entertaining sporting event, but it makes for awful public discourse. Ask the average WVU fan what they think of Pitt, and you're likely to get a heated response. Why? Because they're Pitt. The next time you have a negative reaction to something a politician or pundit says, ask yourself this, why do I feel this way? Is it because I disagree with the idea being expressed? Or is it because it's being expressed by the other team? Take off your jersey. Tip number two, find your why. While sometimes we can spend too much of our time focusing on the who's of politics, as I described in tip number one, our arguments can often fall apart when we become entrenched in the hows and whats. Often, the policy positions that get thrown around in these discussions are specific solutions to big problems with, if we're being honest, no easy answers. That's why I propose that we focus instead on the why. Why does this issue matter to you? What is the core value that is driving your opinion? Take an issue like gun control. If you care deeply about this issue, you can easily give your opinion on whether or not assault rifles should be banned or stricter background checks should be implemented. If someone disagrees with your stance, you might go back and forth defending your views until you're blue in the face. However, have you ever stopped to take a moment and to ask yourself why you support your chosen policy? What value is driving your opinion? Maybe your primary concern is public safety, or maybe it's individual liberty and constitutional rights. It's important to find your why and to think about your personal values because our values have much more potential for common ground. We may not agree on the best solution to issues like abortion or racial injustice, but we're much more likely to agree on the values and rights of life, equality, and personal dignity. So I encourage you to dig deep and find your why. If you do, you may find it easier to embrace more nuanced positions on hot-button issues, to understand why someone else might not share your views, and to maintain love and respect for your friends or colleagues with whom you profoundly disagree. Find your why. Tip number three, get curious. One of my all-time favorite quotes is, seek first to understand, then to be understood. 
It's a phrase that encourages empathic listening, a skill intended to promote mutual understanding and trust. And it's vitally important to political discourse. When we discuss politics with someone, are we truly listening or are we just waiting for our turn to talk? Are we seeking to understand someone's views or are we more focused on getting them to accept ours? When you reach a point of disagreement or confusion, your first impulse might be to attack, to argue. What if you train yourself instead to seek clarification in these moments, to ask follow-up questions? It can be as simple as asking one of these two questions. What do you mean by that? Or where are you getting your information? And ask these questions genuinely, not with a tone of accusation or condescension, and pay attention to the responses. If you develop this habit of seeking clarification, you may find it easier to get past your own biases and assumptions to the point that a challenging discussion may bring you closer to a person, not further away. This principle applies not only during our conversations, but before and after them as well. I encourage you to read up on an issue that interests you, almost like you need to explain it to someone who knows nothing about it. What's the history of the problem? What solutions have been attempted? And how did that influence where we are today? That's the before part. Now, on to the after. When you're discussing a difficult topic with a friend or family member, it's okay to say, I don't know, or I never thought about it that way, or let me read up on that and get back to you. It's not a defeat. It's an opportunity for better understanding. Many times, it's helpful to get outside perspectives so you can better see the big picture. And the more we see the bigger picture, the better we'll understand each other. Get curious. Tip number four, exit the echo chamber. Earlier, I dropped a psychology term on you when I talked about the outgroup homogeneity effect. Well, here's another one that you've probably heard of. Confirmation bias. It's the tendency to interpret new evidence as confirmation of one's existing beliefs or theories. In other words, our brains are more likely to accept news that tells us we are right. Social media seems to be designed entirely around this concept, as our every interaction reprograms our news feeds to look more and more like our own opinions. News outlets thrive off of this tendency as well. They cater to their intended audience and its political bias for the maximum advertising dollar. This all fuels what's commonly called an echo chamber, where all we see is our own opinions regurgitated over and over again with very little outside influence. So how do we break out? Well, step one is simply being aware of our biases. We've all got them. Our brains are wired to simplify and categorize information. Otherwise, we'd all be swimming in a sea of information that we'd have no hope of remembering or interacting with. Simply being aware of this fact will help us not to fall into the trap of the echo chamber. Step two is to be aware of the biases of our information sources. In our show notes, we will link a news bias chart from a website called All Sides. This chart organizes popular news sources into five possible groups, left, left-leaning, center, right-leaning, and right. I challenge you over the coming weeks to spend more time reading the sources in the center column, and if you're feeling particularly adventurous, jump over to the other side of the line by one column. If you can, please read pieces from the outer columns sparingly. 
If your primary source of news is memes, you are doing it wrong. When paired with the earlier tips of this podcast, combating our confirmation bias can have a powerful influence on our political discussions and defuse some potentially contentious debates with those we love. Exit the echo chamber. And finally, tip number five, give grace with a humble heart. In the New Testament, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, we will be wise to seek a humble heart so that we can show grace at every opportunity. Humility is the fuel of grace, and pride is its enemy. Pride refuses to give up its team jersey and treats our political discourse like a competition. Humility sets aside political affiliations in order to prioritize our relationships. Pride makes us cling to our hows and whats. Humility seeks common ground over the whys. Pride assumes that we are always right and the other person is mistaken. Humility is curious, seeking first to understand, then to be understood. Pride listens only to the echo chamber, seeking to reinforce what it already believes. Humility isn't afraid to hear the whole truth, even if it doesn't fit neatly into our worldview. When we humble ourselves, we empower a grace-filled demeanor. And, as Philippians 2 reminds us, we imitate the attitude of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there you have it, five tips for productive political discussions. If you found this episode helpful, please be sure to share it with a friend. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please subscribe and consider giving us a favorable review on your podcast platform of choice. This will help us to get our podcast onto more people's radar and help more people turn difficult topics into helpful conversations. And that is your resolutions rundown for today.